I'm reading um, Isaiah chapter 50, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV. This is what the Lord God says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Speaking of taking liberty, I wanted to take liberty with, where's Floyd? He is not, he is somewhere, he's approaching. Um, some of you may know that Floyd retired from the FBI, and he was the agent that brought in uh, Timothy McVeigh. And so uh, what happened in Newtown is especially um, hits him real hard. So he might come up and give this old goat a special hug today. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you noticed, folks, Baruch Hashem, we're here. Uh, I, last time I checked, th there wasn't any, uh, uh, we were not pulverized because of some funky planet hitting us. And um, 
By the way, I, I, I saw a, uh, a little clip in the Denver Post that uh, I found somewhat amusing. There's some folks who are convinced that, that something did in fact happen um, on uh, yesterday, that there was a change in consciousness and spirituality and humanity. And a number of these folks are getting together um, to discuss this spiritual shift of energy. And as you might suspect, uh, they're getting together to do that, of course, in Boulder. Um, there are good folks in Boulder, by the way. One of our uh, very special brothers, a Messianic Jewish pastor, lives in Boulder, Gene, Kis Gene Binder, excuse me. But ever so often, um, I, I uh, poke fun at, in our uh, neighboring northern uh, city. By the way, um, another interesting bit of news. You may remember that about a year ago, um, a uh, radio preacher by the name of Harold Camping came out with a proclamation that on May 21st, 2011, uh, the end of the world was coming, and that 200 million people uh, would be raptured, and that th those left behind would die in earthquakes, plagues, and other scourges until the earth was consumed by a fireball. Well, May 21 came and went, and uh, that didn't happen. By the way, a lot of folks bought into it, and... Uh, uh, some of them sold their properties and, and got out of college and so on and so forth in order to be part of this movement. Um, they were sorely disappointed, even though Harold Camping um, predicted that, no, he was mistaken, but that the earth would be obliterated on October 21st, 2011, which, of course, did not happen. But what really piqued my attention was a, uh, a recent statement on their website um, that showed a bit of humility. And here are some of the statements that Harold Camping made. We realize that many people are hoping they will know the date of Messiah's return. We humbly acknowledge that we were wrong about the timing. God has humbled us through the events of May 21st. We must also openly acknowledge that we have no new evidence pointing to either date for the end of the world. And uh, here is what really, really grabbed my attention. He stated that instead of focusing on dates, setting dates for the end of the world, he would concentrate on deepening his faith through rereading the scripture. What a concept. So uh, this has definitely not been a normal kind of Hanukkah slash Christmas season. Um, we've been talking about that for the last several, the last couple of Shabbatot. Um, and by the way, let me just remind everybody that we will be celebrating Yom Yeshua 
the, the coming, the incarnation of Messiah on January 12th. And uh, we will be doing it as, we, as we've been feeling led to do. Uh, not just because we're honorary, and that we are, but we really more to the point we feel like we want to be sure that we give the Lord the due credit that belongs to Him. And the Incarnation uh, is an event that changed the world. And so we're planning to do that. Um, the passage that Judy read to us is not what you call standard issue Hanukkah slash Christmas passage. But if you notice the word servant is in there, and we've been talking about the Lord's servant for, for the past couple of Shabbatot, because whether we do it on a particular date or not, we are Yeshua's disciples. Amen? Amen. You're not sure. Amen? Amen. Uh, just as He is the servant of the Lord, so we are committed to living as his followers and servants of the Lord. And so what, what we've been seeing throughout this uh, couple of chapters, uh, chapter 42, chapter 49, that what is explained to us about the servant of the Lord is not light stuff. And our inclination perhaps is to back off and say, Lord, uh, why don't you give the job to somebody else? You know, the servant of the Lord is, is good for, for Steve or for Mike. Um, you know, I, I'm just content to live life as I am. And the answer, of course, is no. I have called you. And so I want to pause for a minute and just ask the Lord's discernment for each one of us as we look at this passage specifically about what he has in mind for us to learn. Lord God, we, um, we thank you for your word. And we stand in awe of who you are and your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Lord God, that by your word, the heavens were made. We affirm, Lord God, that your word is alive and active, powerfully active and sharper than two-edged sword. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us and cut through our defense mechanisms, Lord, anything that hinders us from hearing what you have to say to us. And Lord, as Samuel, the young child, prayed, we likewise say, Lord, speak, because your servants are listening. And Lord, we believe that we today have been standing on holy ground in your presence, and we desire, Lord, to continue in that as we look into your word in Yeshua's name. Amen. This passage is laid out into a couple of different sections. The first three verses... Um, are focused on, is on Israel as the servant of God and a s somewhat defective servant. Then verses 4 to 9 speak, about, uh, speak 
um, provide the opportunity for the servant himself to speak. And then the last couple of verses are the voice of God speaking, um, pointing to the servant. And I wanted to, to, first of all, pick up by looking at the first uh, three verses because there's obviously some debate and controversy and this is particularly something significant for us in a Messianic Jewish congregation that because we strongly hold the fact that God has not gotten rid of Israel. And Lord knows we have, the nation of Israel has given God all kinds of excuses to do so, but he hasn't. God's love is relentless and from our perspective somewhat foolish. I don't think any one of us would give the kind of love to somebody like the people of Israel represent um, after we've been taken advantage of and hurt repeatedly. I think most of us, probably all of us, at some point would say, fully on you, who needs you? You've dished out all this abuse, I'm gone, I'm out of here. This relationship is over. And so it seems as if this is what God is saying here, um, and some people interpret it that way, when, when the prophet Isaiah speaks about a certificate of divorce, which, by the way, we also find in Jeremiah chapter 3. Um, but is it really a divorce? When we think of divorce, we think of a termination of a relationship. You know, you divorce somebody, and it's like an amputation. You know, you sever a limb, and, and it's gone. Is that the case between God and the nation of Israel? From, from our perspective, I believe the answer is absolutely no. Including this particular passage that states, even though I, I have sent you away, and this is looking into exile, I keep coming back relentlessly. Verse 2, I came while there was no one. When I called, why there was no one to answer. Was my arm too short to ransom you, do I lack the strength to rescue? In other words, God is standing and saying to Israel, I'm here. I'm engaged. I have the power to redeem you. If you would simply acknowledge your stupidity, it doesn't say stupidity here, but that's the basic idea. Acknowledge your foolishness and repent and turn to me and I will just lovingly pour out my healing and restoration. As you read the prophets, you see that over and over and over and over again. Particularly, you see that in Hosea, where the Lord says in chapter 14, I will heal their apostasy, and I will love them freely. Can you think of anybody else who offers that kind of love? And this is a very powerful expression in verse 3. Has my hand become shortened to ransom you? Think about the, the picture of somebody who is drowning and somebody else wanting to 
reach out and grab them, but they don't have the length to do that. And the Lord is saying, I have what it takes to get the job done. To redeem you. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Of course, this is referring to the Dead Sea, to the uh, Red Sea being dried up. I turned the rivers into desert. I'm the one who has that kind of power. So here in the beginning, God is speaking to the nation of Israel as his servant and saying, I want you, I love you, come back to me and serve the purpose for which I have called you to do. And Isaiah, you can imagine in his shoes, is crying out for his people. This guy proclaimed the word of God for over 60 years. Think about that. God sent him to, to speak a message that he knew people would not want to hear. In fact, the more he preached, the less people heard. But he is, he is reflecting the heart of God, and the Lord presents himself as being eager and able to deliver his people who are in the muck of their own doing. Then what we have is kind of like a, a sharp turn from God speaking to the nation of Israel to the servant of the Lord. And even though it explicitly re refers to Yeshua, we who are the Lord's servants need to listen here and need to apply that to our own life. The Lord God wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen as one being taught. Do you ever feel that way? That you wake up and somehow God got through the fog and, and talked to you and you said, thank you, Lord. That's something that I want to take and live by. Yeshua obviously was in that position because he states very clearly over and over and over again, especially in the book of John, I do nothing other than what the Father tells me to do. Which means that there was that kind of relationship between him and the Father to where Yeshua, Yeshua's antenna were on all the time receptive to whatever message the Father wanted him to to hear so that he can apply it. And by the way, the, you may know that the Hebrew word for hear, to hear something, doesn't just mean to hear physically, you know, with, a, with your synapses and, and um, your nerves connecting to your brain. In Scripture, whenever you see the, the word shema, it always means to listen with intent to obey. You don't have this notion in Scripture of someone listening to God and saying, Lord, that sounds real interesting, but uh, I've got things to do, people to see, and I have an agenda. And when I get done with my agenda, um, 
you're more than welcome to lead me to do what you want me to do. This kind of a notion is absolutely off screen as far as the word of God is concerned. As you see this passage, it is seamless. There's no break between God speaking, the servant listening, and then doing. And by the way, when it speaks here about listening to someone who is taught, the Hebraic notion is not being taught a bunch of facts. In Greek, you have a couple of different ideas. You have being taught a bunch of facts, and then you have those who mentor. In Hebrew, you only have one idea, and that is you are taught for the purpose of applying so that you can live a godly life. Talmud is someone who follows in the footsteps of his rabbi so that he can then emulate and put into practice what he sees the rabbi doing. It's very practically oriented. It's not merely a bunch of information. And this is what Yeshua did. The point is, for him to do the Father's will was no big deal. It was a matter of course. And he tells us that in Luke 17, for instance, when he says, so you also, when you have done everything you're told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In other words, if you sense that God has talked to you and somehow gotten through the fog, you know, the metal plates here between, between the ears, and you listen and finally did what he wanted you to do, that you don't stand up before God and say, Lord, aren't I cute and clever? Look at me. I just, we got this done. And Yeshua's attitude is no. You say, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. What else do you have for me to do? Just a matter of course. Each Shabbat we recite from John 14 and John 14, 21, Yeshua says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. In other words, there's a direct connection between our willing to hear and obey and our getting it. You know, sometimes we are desperate, we're frustrated, we want God to talk to us, but we're not willing to lay down our agenda and come before God unconditionally and say, God, here I am, sign, seal, deliver, I'll do whatever. And what scripture tells us over and over and over again is the extent to which we are committed to doing the Father's will is the extent to which we will receive knowledge and understanding and know who God is and know what he wants us to do. We cannot come to God conditionally and say, Lord, would you please speak to me and I'll put it in my pipe and smoke on it for a while and make a decision and then, then perhaps do it. No. It's a seamless process. Again, obedient shema is listening with intent to obey. 
It's something that either you have it or you don't have it. And if you don't have that desire, let me urge you today, uh, can we turn off all cell phones and all electronic equipment? I'm hearing something. Um, if you don't have that perspective, let me urge you to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me of this conditional desire to do your will. To do it when it seems comfortable, when I like it and I can embrace it. Scripture calls on us to bring yourself before God as radical, radical servants of God. Radical obedience. And that's what the servant, what we see the servant doing here. What is the task? What is the job of the servant? Verse 4, the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples or the tongue of someone who has learned that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Now what kind of word is he talking about? Is it our cleverness and, and our perspective, our prescription to what's going on in someone's life you know a lot of time you share things with people and you get the impression that they're listening to you only long enough until they get what what they think they need to be saying and come up with the right kind of prescription for you I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you talk and people really are not listening to you not listening deeply to you but they're only listening in order to give themselves enough information to be able to tell you what they think you need to know. Not a great process of communication, is it? But what the servant is called to do is not to communicate his word, but to communicate the word of God. A couple of Shabbatot ago, we talked about the fact that the Lord's servant in Isaiah 11 is someone who does what he does not by his understanding. And the Hebrew word is very graphic. It literally means he doesn't do by what he smells. I mean, it's, Hebrew is so vivid and graphic. Uh, smell is obviously our, one of our most potent kind of... Um, senses, but it, it, it literally says he does what he does because of his fear and reverence for God. That's the commission of the servant, is to convey the word of God. You see that with Yeshua? Over and over and over again, the miracles that Yeshua did were not designed to cause people to go, wow, he's pretty cool. But rather, the miracles Yeshua performed were always designed in order to validate the Word of God. And the Word of God that is spoken always somehow has to connect with the power of God. Okay, now what does that mean practically in our life? I suppose if we're to go around and ask, 
I don't think we'd see very many hands of people who would say, I am a communicator of the word of God. I think most of us kind of look like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. But whether we see ourselves as communicators of the word of God, that's, that's what we are. Why? Because we read the word of God. We read it for the purpose of putting it into practice so that somehow it filters through our brain and through our heart and we endeavor to live it practically. And if we are filled with the word of God, guess what's going to happen? It doesn't stay in. It overflows to other people. So whether we get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to speak to X number of people. Or whether we get up in the morning and say, Lord, use me. However we view it, if we are engaged with the word of God in our life, it would overflow and we will communicate the word of God to others. A servant of God is someone who communicates the word of God. And often when we're not looking, you know, without us strategizing, you know, I'm going to come up with uh, a, a sales pitch and four points so that if somebody asks me, I'll be able to give them the sales pitch. No, it, the, the word of God is deep within us and it, and it comes from us and it impacts other people. And it's not about getting into deep debates about what's going on in politics and duking it out with people over different issues. It's proclaiming the word of God, which does what? It brings about the sustaining or the encouragement for those who are weary. Now, folks, think about it. Look around you not just here at Yeshua Tzion, look around you in society, especially the last couple of weeks. People are weary. They, have, they don't have great answers. And they are, as, t- as typical of people, the less they know, the more they want to talk. So you have the talking heads and the pundits getting on TV and radio and pontificating and telling their their answers to what's going on. Well, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. And it weighs on you, and you're weary. And, you know, people can say, well, the nation is experiencing God's judgment. Perhaps, since we're not God, perhaps it's better to leave that determination to God himself. But the point is, you look and you see that people are in need of the Word of God. They need to hear that God is alive and well, and that He is fully in control. And if you don't believe that, you can't articulate that. You can't express that. If you're convinced that your life is going to hell in the handbasket, pardon the expression, you're not going to 
communicate the word of God, a word, of, a word that will promote faith. And, you know, part of the process when you are on Facebook, you get everything from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, occasionally, you get some stuff that's really good. And this one brother in Jerusalem uh, put out a statement that said, when you look at God's track record, you're encouraged then to look at, ahead into what he's going to do. And sometimes you go through phases, you go through stretches where it may not seem like there's a lot happening, like God is at work. But remember, as you see what the Word of God tells us, God typically works behind the scenes in the background, and then in His time, in His appointed time, He pulls the curtain back, he stretches his hand, he does what he does in order to get people's attention, but it, it's at his time. And then you're able to sit up and say, wow, God, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Wouldn't you like to see that every single day? But God does these sorts of things so that when he acts with such power we remember it for a long time and it is a, it is a um, the tool or the means of encouraging us to persevere during times that seem to be lean and dry and difficult that is why as you read what God did for Israel oftentimes what happens is God said to Israel erect a stone pillar or put a bunch of stones together for example when Israel crossed the the Jordan River they piled a bunch of stones why as a reminder of what God did same thing when the Israelites defeated the Philistines they put a a, a marker called Evan Ezer Evan Ezer the Ebenezer the stone of remembrance those are things in our life that we use as encouragement to remind us that God acted decisively and he's able to do so in the future and we trust him. Part of the process is that as we are committed to serving God, communicating the word of God, we're going to face opposition. And this is what we see here in this chapter, that people are tempted to shoot the messenger. And this is kind of odd to be speaking about Yeshua's suffering uh, during a season where people talk about his birth and coming into the world. But we have to remember that Yeshua was born to die. And that as you read the gospel accounts, the biggest aspect of his suffering that is emphasized over and over and over again is the fact that he was mocked. You read Matthew and it talks about Yeshua being mocked by this person, he's being mocked by these people, he's being mocked by, by the Roman soldiers, he's being mocked by, by the chief priests. 
And a part of the process, if you are committed to serving God, you're going to face opposition. You will have people telling you that you are way out in China or you will have that little voice within inside of you saying, what on earth are you doing? You should just quit and go about your normal business. Don't try to do anything heroic. And like the servant of the Lord here, you either know that God is the righteous judge or you don't. And if you know that God is a righteous judge, you step back and you recognize that in his time, in his way, he will vindicate you. And by the way, the word vindicate doesn't mean that he will vindicate everything about you. That he's not going to say, oh, that was such lovely garbage you did back here. Part of, of what the Lord does is where we are on target, the Lord honors that. Where we are off target, he, sh he points that out. And we want that, don't we? We want to know where we're off target. When the Lord vindicates us, it's not so much it vindicates us, but He vindicates what He's doing within us. It's all about Him. If we get that, we have this uns unshakable conviction of God's presence and God's power. By the way, Paul in Romans 8 quotes this. What shall we say if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more with him will he graciously give us all things? The Lord calls each one of us to serve him. Each one of us has a place in the kingdom of God that nobody else can fill. Do you know that? You have a place to serve God in a way that nobody else can. And you can either look at that and accept it by faith or say, who am I? Well, been there, done that, have several closets full of t-shirts. At some point, you learn to get your attention off yourself and say, okay, God, it is your call, it is your gifting, it is your purpose, it is your job, it is your kingdom, not about me. You learn to focus on who God is. You learn to depend on Him. You learn to lean on Him. And no, it is not a straight line. It is not a linear direction. It is up and down and back, back and forwards and side to side. But if Yeshua says, if you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What the prophet here is saying is kind of confusing. Let him who 
he talks about trusting in God. In verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Okay, that I get. But the next statement is confusing. He who obeys God, let him, walk, let him who walks in the dark and who has no light. You go, what's up with that? If I trust God, then I'm going to walk in the light. Well, yes and no. Yes, because we're following the Lord who is light. But the reality is, how many times when we go through life, the path is not always clear and, and sometimes it's confusing and sometimes we have difficulty and it feels dark. Yes, God is very much in the process. Yes, He is walking with us. But it's the darkness of difficulties and uncertainty. In the midst of that, we somehow learn to trust God fear him and obey the word of his servant by the way trusting scripturally is not a passive thing it's not something where you lay down and die and say well I, I, I really have no other choice so God whatever 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 Hebrew word batach means confident expectation why because you know who God is and you, over a period of time, he has gotten through the fog. He has communicated his vision and his calling for you. And, you have, and he has somehow given you faith to trust that that vision will come about. Not because of you, but because of him. And yes, there are times when you go through difficulties and confusion, uncertainty, but you learn in the midst of all of that to lean on God and to trust Him and depend on Him because He will guide you through the process and lead you where you need to go. And He has a purpose and a calling for you to accomplish through all of that. You know, we, we like to think, you know, God, I... I I want the path to be linear. I want me to get it. Just like it says here in verse 4, you talk to me every day. I do it every day. Everything is fine. Well, we happen not to be Yeshua. Minor problem. But it's a process. We're, we're moving. We're moving. And by the grace of God, we're further in that direction than we were a year ago. And I want to challenge everybody to say, by the grace of God, I will be further a year or two years down the road than I am today. Can you say that? And it's all through the ups and downs of life. You know, we've been talking ad infinitum about what's been going on. I won't add to that. I read an editorial by the Archbishop of Denver. I don't usually quote from Catholic spokespeople, but he made some very profound points, and I'll just rattle through those and we'll finish here. He said, first of all, we forget that evil is real. 
Evil is real. Why do you have to step back and figure out and analyze what's going on? By the way, what happened last Friday was not the worst event that ever happened to school children in the United States. 1927, 38 school children were killed by a guy who lost his mind and threw several bombs into the school. Evil is real. Ev evil has always existed. But what defeats evil is love. And I want to add, obviously, that what defeats evil is the love of God poured out on us and then overflowing to other people. That is how we serve God. We experience the reality of of our relationship with Him, we experience the reality of, of His communication with us, His tender communication. We learn to respond. Sometimes it's baby steps. We learn to respond. We learn to communicate the Word of God to others around us who have no hope, who have no real meaning. And then we step back and say, Lord, wasn't that cool? What else do you have for me to do? The Lord is blessed and we have entered into His joy. That's the plan. Let's pray. And let's stand, please. Oh Lord, we come to you with so many excuses. Some of them reasonable, some of them unreasonable. Actually, they're all unreasonable. Why we cannot do your will. And we repent of it, Lord. We repent of our unbelief that puts all the burden on us and forgets just who you are. And Lord God, we pray that you would throw back the curtains. Throw back the curtains, Lord God, and cause us to see you, to see who you really are. And to stop, Lord God, parking on our weaknesses, our deficiencies, everybody else's weaknesses and deficiencies, Lord. But in simple childlike faith to say, Abba, Father, I, I, I want to do your will. I want to be your servant. I want to communicate your word actively or, or through my life testimony. Lord God, I pray that your Ruach would put that fire within us. Put that fire within us, Lord God. to be bearers of the word, communicators of your word, because we live it. And Lord, we pray that you teach us, Lord, how to step forth in faith and, and depend on you. To get the job done. Lord God, Teach us to be good and wise and faithful servants. 
that your purposes would be accomplished, that your kingdom would expand, and that people, Lord God, would come to know you and to have life. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.